Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Mark Goodway, founder and chief executive of the Matthew Tree Project, an organization that strives to empower and support people who have fallen into crisis. Mark, hello. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for coming on the program. Now, normally, we like to get straight on to the subject of leadership, but considering the ongoing COVID outbreak, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, how has this affected the way in which you operate your organization? Okay, well, we've had to completely repurpose everything that we do. Um, Prior to the pandemic outbreak, we were operating five what we call community hub support centres across Bristol in South Gloucestershire, where people would come and we would talk to them about their issues, give them practical support and and guidance. Um, A key part of that um, service was the way it it had a positive effect on isolation because lots of people that are in hardship are are isolated. So Mm. it was very positive in that respect. What what we've had to do because because of the pandemic is obviously close down um, the support centres because it wouldn't be safe for either the clients who are vulnerable or our 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 delivery team, a lot many of whom are retired, um, to be in a, in a close environment like that. So what we had to do in in March was um, introduce a home delivery food service because a, a key part of what we do is provide people with weekly groceries if they can't afford food themselves. So we, within a matter of two weeks, we we um, introduced what we would call now our home delivery food service. Um, we also introduced a crisis support telephone line service as well, because obviously we weren't able to meet with people to talk about their issues, the underlying causes of what's created the problem. Um, right. we, we, we then introduced a, a voice over IP phone, phone system, um, and we have all of our frontline um, uh, what we call interview volunteers and, and staff um, talk to talk to our clients every week on the telephone about the what's caused the problem. So we're still able to provide guidance and, and support and help people get out of the hole that they're in. We just have to do it very differently now because of because of the pandemic. Have you seen a rise in people needing to take up your service because of the pandemic? Yes, absolutely. We, we, we've seen a 200% increase in new referrals to, to our, our support program since mid-March. So, so um, bearing in mind that we, when we take on a client, we, we support people long term. So when, when we accept a client referral, we, we make a commitment to that person or that household that we will support them as long as they're in need, however long that takes for them to become okay again. So um, so when we take on a client, we're, we're looking at you know, weeks and months of support that we're actually um, committing to. Um, and they have a 200% increase in, in new referrals uh, every single week since mid-March has put a huge strain on the resources of, of the charity. Um, because, you know, what we got is we, we got a high number of new clients coming at one end. And, and fewer clients leaving at the other end because the issues are much harder now to deal with. So, so it's, it's created a, a, a big increase in, in, the, in demand within the charity. And obviously, this, the, 
the, the strain on the, the delivery team is 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 quite is quite immense, really. What sort of methodologies could reduce these issues uh, for people during this period of isolation? I'm really sorry. Would you mind repeating that, please? What sort of um, ways of thinking or ways of uh, treating people uh, could we employ to help minimize uh, the effects of the uh, COVID sanctions? Well, we, we've we, we've um, practiced a, a a methodology for ten years, which has proved highly effective, and, and it's a it's a very holistic. Uh, um, in, in the, you know, looking at every person as an individual individual case, and and I, all I would say is that the pandemic, all that all that has done is heightened the the need for effective solutions. It, it hasn't necessarily changed what what works. It just make, makes it much more important because there's so many more people now that are that are in need. And 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 in, in practice, what what this looks like is that you know you could have two 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 different um, client cases with on paper, exactly the same issues. Yet the thing is, is that both those two individual people or, or households have got completely different capabilities. So to to try and try and approach both exactly the same way would would would, would be futile because a, a one person may be able to engage with things much easier than the other person, and 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 everyone everyone's makeup is different, and everyone reacts to things differently. And what we found works really really well. Over the ten years we've been doing this, is that by treating every in, every person with an individual as an individual and going at their pace, you can actually resolve resolve the issues for everybody. And and I would say all that we've seen or we're seeing now is we're seeing a, a a ridiculously fast increase in in the people in need, but the solutions remain the same. We we just we just need to upscale. These, these the frontline services that are providing the solutions to, to so because there's more people that are in need now. Well, it is a difficult aspect to uh, behold, uh, but we must move on to the subject of leadership. I always like to start this part of the conversation off by asking the same simple question: What does the word leader mean to you? Okay, well, my leader to me is basically uh, my my role in all this is to is to is to guide the ship in the in keep the ship on on course, as it were. Um, the the, the I, I would say a good effective leader is basically takes information from, um, in my case, it would be the clients, the volunteers, the staff, the people that are engaged, involved, the people that are affected. All the information needs to come from from them, and it, and if anything, the leader needs to not have an opinion at all, uh, because it's a, it's by having a by having a approach whereby you're you're gaining the information from all the people that know best, from the frontline people who are involved, and then what my role is is gather that information in and make sense of it, and then feed it back to everyone and saying, okay, based on what everyone's saying, what everyone's feeling, what everyone's thinking. This this is what we're proposing to do. What do you all think? And it it, it really is a case of of re- get information, formulate a plan, go back, check the plan, and and what you have to do, I believe, is you you've got to keep the the the, the people that drive the 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 organisation forward are not the people 
in the leadership positions is actually the people they are benefiting from the services. Those are the ones who should be driving it forward because it, we, we exist, we're here for them. So therefore to not listen to them and not be guided by what they need and how they're feeling would, 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 would I would say would be, would be not, uh, not such a good way to do things. Now, how would you uh, say that you came to your philosophy on leadership? Did you have any role models who shaped you as you are today? Um, I would say, I would say, uh, yes. Uh, I, I have a very strong Christian faith. Um, in in that respect, um, I, I've studied the life of Jesus extensively, and and I would say that much. Of, I, I think much of my my characteristics, the way I think as a person. Come, comes from, from from that learning and that and that faith and it, which is within me, but but then in addition to that, when 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 I founded the Matthew Tree Project charity, um, in a way I had no choice but to do it this way because I, I I don't I didn't come from this sector I had no previous experience within this sector, um, I founded the charity with an objective of trying to to deal with the issues that are causing these problems, but no real idea of what to do or how to do it. The, the, the way we actually started from day one was exactly like I've just explained, where you, 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 by providing food, it, it, it brought people to us. So people came to us because they needed food. So food, if you like, for us in the very early days was a, a strategic tool to get people to engage with us. Mm. And then what we would do simply is then talk to them and ask them, what's happened? Why do you need this situation? Why, why do you need our help? What, what has caused the problem? And 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 all, all it all I used to do in those early days was just listen intently to everything everyone was saying, and then then react, then do something about it. And and I would say that the entire organisation it started off that way, and and it continues to operate that way even now. Now, unfortunately, our time together has drawn to its close. But before I let you go, Mark, what does the next twelve months have in store for the Matthew Tree Project? Well, we're, we're, we are facing our, our biggest challenge um, since we since we've been found, we were founded ten years ago. The we, we the increase in, in demand on the services we've seen since March we we believe is only going to get greater um, as as the furlough scheme unwinds, um, the ban on evictions is lifted. Um, we 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 anticipate there's going to be a, a a much greater demand on the services on this particular charity. And, and to meet that demand, um, we would need, obviously, to secure more funding and more resources, because as the demand goes up, you need to increase the resources to meet that demand. And that's not going to be very easy to uh, secure, because every level of society has been affected by this. So what funding was available before is, is not necessarily going to be available in the future. And there's also going to be more organizations in, in, in great need of funds. So we're heading into an unknown period of time where I think the challenges are going to be huge for everyone and the Matthew Tree Project is not going to be uh, exempt from that. Well, Mark, it has been a pleasure having you on the program today and I do wish you and the entire team at the Matthew Tree Project the best of luck in the coming weeks and months and I do hope you can join us again when things get back to normal. Matthew, uh, Mark, rather thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was Mark Goodway, founder and chief executive of the Matthew Tree Project. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. 
We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, yeah. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager obviously like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the talent of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved. 
and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, uh, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously... Uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about South Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time at maybe overly strict but at the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life they're all singing off the same hymn for you and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, South so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. 
I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, if maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important, to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> But the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever. 
which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want, you want, you've got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm. And this occasion I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was a couple of questions. And then all of a sudden I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but no, then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did... Uh, um, but then again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when obviously this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of the uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work 
for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I think we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and, and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. Yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I've been going back from an earlier, earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good, good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago of course with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers we, we still got on our wives got on all together all those years later it didn't just finish after 66 they, that reunion that camaraderie that team spirit mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long 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 time and I wouldn't and- when, it, when you put those, those questions and how you categorise those I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, 
Yes, the word, the, word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely, and I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes, you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without? in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top, managers and lead it, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm. I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, Goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.